Welcome to Teachings in the Air. Air, Air. Welcome to Teachings in the Air podcast with Jerry Oldman. Coming to you from Hunkameenam Territory with a podcast series about Indigenous men's health and wellness. We aim to inspire, motivate, and empower Indigenous men to be sound in mind, body, and spirit because that's what health means. Hello, this is Teachings in the Air with Jerry Oldman. Today's podcast is called Chilkch, which in my language means can either mean number five or to come to the end. I found out when I was asking one of my elders, I wanted to know how to say to come to the end. Because I used to name, I'd name my sweat lodge just before I have a sweat. And I wanted to name one of them to come to the end, you know, to leave negativity or things behind. And she says, Jerry, Chilkch. And I looked at her, I said, no, Chilkch means five. And she says, Jerry, put up your hand and count. Point at your fingers and count. So I was <laughs> counting my fingers, pala and wish klachash hoching chilkch. Just like a light went off to come to the end of the hand, number five. So this podcast is in reference to strong mind. You know, the series is called Strong Mind, Strong Body, Strong Spirit, Strong Heart. So I thought I'd talk about strong mind today, you know, and um, I've been doing a lot of reflection about my mind, my brain. And I know that my brain, you know, is, stores knowledge, stores teachings. I'm, 
Nowadays, I get hungry for teachings. I listen to speakers on YouTube and TED's talks, uh, co-workers. And I remember elders' voices. So there were memories of knowledge is what I think about today. My mind is about experiencing the world through my senses. You know, see, hear, touch, taste, feel. You know, those senses come through the mind. Experiencing the world. I have memories of people, of events, of activities. You know that um, as humans, as a human being, my behavior and my response to life you know, is, um, is because of my memories, because of what happened in my life. You know, I, I remember at the beginning, and I think about my childhood small, you know, when I was very young, you know, probably up to five years of age, I come from an inclusive home. We all shared chores. We all, we know, were part of the life in the house. And we lived in a small house built by my dad and his dad. They built the house. So we all slept upstairs under the roof, you know, and we all had to fix our bed, keep things tidy, you know, do chores, pack wood, cut kingling, feed the chickens, pack water, you know. It was inclusive. And I think about it, it was a good life. It's never hungry, didn't know fear, you know, it was... It was good. I know one of my chores was um, to start the fire in the morning in the winter time. It's cold, you know. So before we go to sleep, my dad would put the kingling and the fire starter beside the stove and the wood, small pieces of wood, you know, so I can start the fire. Early in the morning, I'd hear my dad's voice. Jerry, Spamsham. Jerry, Spamsham. And I'd hear him, and I'd roll over and cover myself up. And he'd say again, Jerry, Spamsham. So I'd jump up and run as a little boy. Run downstairs. Put the fire starter in there and the kingling on top, and then bigger pieces of wood light the match and light the fire. You could hear it crackling. And I'd close the door and I'd run back upstairs and get under my blankets. And my mother would cook breakfast. You know, and I remember that it was totally safe, it was nourishing, felt good. We were together, we were one. Those memories I have, you know, when I think of them, I smile, I feel good. I remember my oldest brother, once we were doing chores outside and we were moving wood and stuff, and there was a wheelbarrow. So he says, get on, Jerry, I'll give you a ride. I says, okay. So he was running, pushing me around in the wheelbarrow, and I was bouncing around, and I was laughing. It was so joyous. 
and he hit this um, bump on the trail, and the wheelbarrow went, you know, slipped up into the air, and I flipped out of the wheelbarrow, and I landed on this pile of branches. And one of them just so happened it had a pointy end, and it embedded into my calf on my leg. I was laying there, I was crying, and I say, no, my brother comes and picks me up and carries me to the house, to my mother. I remember hanging on to my brother and the concern in his voice, in his eyes, and I was hanging on to him. And my mother, you know, pulled the stick out, put medicine on there, patched it up. And it's okay, I still got a scar on my calf. And I see that I remember my brother, my mother. See, that's a good memory. So our mind can store memories and experiences. You know, and as human being, my response, my behavior and my responses in life, you know, come from those memories, from people in my life, from activities. So that's how I started. Those were my first memories. You know, living in this dwelling with my family and everything's good. Everything. Then uh, all of a sudden I turned six. And I don't remember them telling me I have to go to school. That's all I know is I remember I was walking into the, this building. And uh, when I think about it, you know, it's my first exposure to Canadians, to white people, because I was in a reservation. Seton Lake Indian Band, they called it. It's my community, all indigenous. So I go to the school, and that's when I, my memories changed. You know, it's a big event in my life because for the first time, I, like, I have no memory being taught multiplication and addition and subtraction. But I remember looking at this page. We got our little books back, you know, and uh, all of the answers I put in the ta- on the, on the math, arithmetic questions there was red X's between everyone, beside every answer. The teacher gave me my, my work and started slapping me on both sides of my head. All of a sudden, I'm not in an inclusive atmosphere anymore. It's uh, fearful. I'm scared now. I remember I left, I told my parents, I don't want to go to school. 
I don't want to go back. They kept me home for a while, then they brought me back again. But my whole education experience in elementary school and high school was a fearful experience. My memories aren't good when it comes to education. You know, learning about arithmetic, reading, and writing. Scared to make a mistake. So there I was, thrust into a, what I call a crazy new way of life. And it's so ironic that it's in the education system where I'm to get knowledge to help me with my life. Because that's what education's about. So now I know fear. I know shame now. Or I didn't know that in my house as a little boy. Now I start to hear messages in the air about my people. Now they're drunks. They're stupid. They're lazy. They're crazy. You know, that's a total new experience for me, hearing all of these. And what is my behavior? What's my response to hearing these messages and taking them in as a child? Of course, it it was confusing. It was like I didn't see it as racism. I just seen it as meanness. These people are mean. You know, in a, the residential school, I'd, I'd never felt this kind of loneliness before, even though I'm surrounded by children and youth my age. It was like a lonely feeling. It was feeling of loss, of being afraid. You know, and uh, of course, we formed bonds amongst each other, like I had friends there as the years went on, and we went through the experience together. But my memories, what I absorbed from there, I have little memory of the arithmetic, the English, Surprisingly, I was good at memorizing. I could memorize French, for instance. I remember the teacher telling me, Jerry, I know you can do better. But I wasn't (laughs) putting any effort into it. Because there are times I get 100% in my French exam. You know, for the most part, it was... I guess survival, confusion, you know, as young people. So my behavior, I learned how to avoid. I guess some people call lying. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good. You know, (laughs) but I'm avoiding talking about my fear, my anger, my depression. Because what happened is I became traumatized or I was wounded in my mind 
my body, my spirit, and my heart got weak. When I left that that place, I I turned to alcohol even before I left residential school. Me and my friends started drinking in their 13 years of age. And I know every, most people probably started experimenting at that age. But I'd learned that it can be an escape. And it helped me avoid memories that were fearful, angry, shame-filled. And of course, then I got into the drugs too. So that was Jerry's mind from this inclusive space, you know, joy-filled, content, trusting, to all of a sudden, fear, anger, depression. You know, like it wasn't 24-7. There's times my friends and I in residential school would be laughing, we'd make jokes, we'd do stories, we'd play soccer. We do those things. But there's this undercurrent, you know, that response to what was going on was happening inside, too. You know, when we go through that, um, that stress response, you know, and our body get into, we want to fight or flight or hide. And that our body has chemicals that just rushes into our muscles and it <laughs> sort of psychs us up to fight. All of a sudden we're filled with this energy or to run away as fast as we can. So that's a fight or flight response. So that's happening constantly, but I wasn't fighting and I wasn't running. I was staying there. So my body had these chemicals in there that were meant to help me to fight or run away. But I was just there, so. That's when I started to get fidgety, or, and I, when I started <laughs> discovered cigarettes, I was chain smoking, I was drinking, I was doing drugs, you know, all of those things that were to escape, to not remember. So my mind had become weakened. It's like I was addicted to feeling sorry for myself. I remember I wanted to stop drinking. I could see the harm it was doing. And my thought was, I'll stop when somebody stops with me. I hope somebody says, hey, Jerry, let's quit drinking. Of course, that didn't happen. Then she had... uh, got to that place of being sick and tired of being sick and tired. And that's when the mind, you know, and I'm thinking about strong mind, it is strong. We can change our mind. We can start to think positive again. I did, I started to think positive. I changed. I remember the the first, when I learned about this, I went to a workshop called Indian Is, 
and the facilitator was talking about affirmations and about, you know, about the mind. And he was talking about the power of mind. Remember one of the, like he's telling stories, he's indigenous, he was a Sioux man from the Dakotas. And he's talking about, he says, okay, I have a $100 bill here. If I lay this plank on the floor, six inches wide, ten feet long, he says, and I put it, that $100 bill at the end of the plank, and I get you to stand there to walk towards it and get pick it up and it's yours. You could do that. Probably very easy. You could probably even hop and skip and get there and pick up that $100 bill. But he says, now I put that plank 20 feet above the air and put that $100 bill at the end of the plank. You're going to change. And I got it. I got about the power of the mind. He says, you might crawl out to the end of the plank. Maybe you wouldn't even go up your afraid of heights. But it's your mind. Because it's the same plank. The only thing, it's up in the air. So he would tell stories like that. He was telling us, he says, garbage in, garbage out. Negativity comes in, you get it out of your mind. Reject it. Don't, don't accept it. Garbage in, garbage out. He says, we need to start to say over and over and over again positive messages to wipe out the negativity. So he was talking about affirmations, about saying things over and over again that are positive. You need to give examples of people that would do that. I told the story about the bull rider, Brahma bulls. Oh, those are fierce creatures. You know, they're, they're frightful. He's talking about the, this one bull rider, indigenous. He would stand in front of the, the corral where the bulls are before he rides. He's standing there, he's dressed warm, got a sweater on. Standing there looking at the bulls. The facilitator said he was watching him. And uh, got his time to ride. So he went and got on the bull. They nod and they let me have him and uh, open the chute and out he goes and he rides a bull. And he makes a, the, he finishes a ride. The facilitator says, I went up to him after. I asked him, I seen you looking at those bulls. What were you doing? He says, oh, he says, I knew the bull I was riding. I was looking at it, and I was saying in my mind, I beat you 100 times. I beat you 100 times already. I beat you 100 times. So he was doing the positive thinking. He was setting himself up for success.
So that was an, an incredible workshop. One of the words that he used about addictions, he says, stand up and be counted. Stand up and be counted. Be part of the solution. So I took those words. And the other thing about this man, and he was cultural, he had a pipe ceremony with us. Shared his pipe. Oh, that was a wonderful memory. Remember, memories are activities, are people. I have memories of that man and the activities and the words he used. Till today, it was the beginning of Jerry being free. Because we can be trapped in anger or fear or depression. I was tracked, <laughs> trapped in anger and at times fearful and at times depressed. So he helped me with his words and his stories. That's when I seriously stopped. Because I'd been working at stopping drinking and drugging for a couple of years by the time I seen him. It was already in my mind that I wanted to stop. It was in my mind. I knew my mind was weak. So when I heard him, he gave me some tools, and those were affirmations, positive messages to say over and over again. Because I didn't like myself, thought I was a failure, one of my affirmations was, I am a lovable, capable man. I am a lovable, capable human being. I say it over and over again. Then, of course, garbage in, garbage out. He also said, when you get those negative thinking, say stop. Say stop, you know. (laughs) Stop it. I think George Carlin said the same thing. (laughs) Anyway, once in a while, you know, I get into this negative thinking. I say, stop. I have to stop myself. So that was the start of my changing my mind. The second significant event that happened for me was this elder put me on the mountain, what some people would call a vision quest. It's actually about finding my purpose in life. What am I here for? What's my gift? And I was, he put me there. I was sitting there for the first two days, you know, when we're by when I'm by myself, I talk to myself. I don't know if other people do it, but I do, you know, and I was saying, What you doing, Jerry? That's what I was that's how I was talking to myself. And I would answer like somebody's talking to me, you are fasting. And then my response would be because I'm getting thirsty and hungry and having doubts. And I say, this is stupid. Why am I doing this? So for two days, my self-talk was like that. 
Then the third day, our fasting process is purification too because your body is now eating the negativity in your system because you don't have food or water, so it eats. That's the way nature is. It's brilliant. Your body will eat a negativity first when there's nothing else to eat in the tummy. That's what I thought. That's what I believe. It's a purification to fasting. So the third day, the question, Jerry, what are you doing? And the answer came, I am fasting. And the whole experience changed. Now it's me having ownership of my life. Finally, I am fasting. And the whole experience changed. I could hear, you know, I could sense life around me. I remember I was sitting there and it was sunshine outside and it was May and it was warm. And I could hear this bzzz, bzzz, uh, bumblebee. And I'm sitting in my lodge, it's darkener, and I'm waving my hands around, thinking there's a bumblebee in the lodge. But it was outside. And I was sitting there, could hear the wind. Could smell the fir boughs on the floor that the elder put there to tell me to sit on. He says, you're going to get bad breath as the fast goes on, so you take the tips of these fir trees, really nice and soft. He says, you just chew them, you just spit them out, because your mouth is going to taste bad too, because your body's eating itself. I says, okay, so I would do that. I can still taste that fur when I'm talking about it now, fur tips. I was sitting there and, I hear something outside the lodge. Sort of like a shuffling and a snuffling. I'm sitting there and I'm, oh, what's that? I waited till it was gone because it walked around outside my lodge. After it's gone, I, I went out. And there's black bear tracks came and walked around my lodge, could probably smell me, but he left. And I'm looking at nature without thinking now, and it felt so liberating. And I remembered why I was there. He says, ask for help, ask for a gift, and he left me there. I can go back to the lodge and sit and meditate. The fourth day I could I'm sitting there. And I could see these people sitting in a circle. They weren't really human shapes, but they were like blue lights, blue circle, blue um orbs in a circle, and I was one of them. And I was singing. And I said, that's what I'm supposed to do, to be with people and to share music and sit in circle. And I felt so good because I have a purpose now. So I was sitting there and 
chanting. And the uh, elder come and got me. I remember walking down the mountain. I was weeping with joy. Because now my mind has slowed down and I can see, I can smell, I can taste. So that was my I statement moment, owning my life, taking responsibility, taking accountability. Of course, there's lots that I had to do after that, lots of responsibility, lots of accountability, because remember, my mind was weak before that. So I kept working, you know, and had met wonderful people, heard wonderful words, and I just kept growing. And there were still things inside of me I needed to deal with, and I'd run across people, and they'd, we'd deal with it. Massage therapist worked on some kinks in my body that were there because I was thinking all the time about abuse. And it hurt, but it worked casting off ceremony with the healer where I cast off the, the ones that abused me. Said they were still in me, so I threw them away, and it worked. Then I met this other one in Vancouver. This one was a master. People called him a master. He was a Zen master from Taiwan. And I was reading the Vancouver Sun, and it said, Master so-and-so is coming to Vancouver, to Richmond. And he's doing a, giving a presentation, a talk at this hotel, and it's free. So I said, oh, I'm going to go. As I started reading Zen books as part of helping my mind, and it said that a master is someone that can transform you with words. So I said, oh, I'm going to be transformed by this master. <laughs> Big expectations. So I went and I registered. I went to the registration, and the young lady says, You speak Taiwanese. I says, no. And she says, the master only speaks Taiwanese. I says, oh. I was going to leave. And she says, but don't worry. There's these, um, they had these, like, earphones there. She said, there will be interpreters. So you turn this on, then you'll hear the interpreters interpreting what he's saying. I says, oh, good. So I take them and... For the first time since elementary school and high school, I went to the front of the room, sat in a chair right in front where the master's going to sit. No hesitation, because I wanted to be transformed. So I went up there, put on my headset, sitting there waiting. Then I hear these drums and cymbals and eventually I could smell incense and the master is being escorted in by these other monks with shaved heads and robes 
and they're playing these instruments, and one's carrying this like a smudge bowl. Oh, it smells good, and they come in, you know, and they're, he gets up, and he, they have a place for him to sit on cushions, no chair. They got flowers around him. And he sits there. I remember he's sitting there, he's sitting straight, looking around, he's got clear eyes. And he laughs, looking at us. Say, oh. So he starts talking, and he says, he does a presentation about reincarnation. He said, I've been wondering how to explain this to people. And he says, I finally got away, so he was explaining it to us like, like water, he says, how it can change. When it gets cold, it'll turn to snow, turn to ice, turn to steam, like a cloud. He says, that's like the human spirit. It'll change to dimensions. So that was a good presentation, but it didn't transform me. So I'm sitting there waiting. Of course, thinking, oh, I'm not going to get transformed today. Then he tells his story. This young man trying to find answers, trying to find a reason for living a purpose. What's it all about? The same way that I thought for years and years and years and still was thinking like that. <laughs> and he says, yeah, he says, uh, so he, he asked a master, this Buddhist monk, he says, can you teach me? The master looks at him and says, yes, but you'll have to come and live with me. You're going to have to shave your head and wear the robes even if you're not becoming a monk. You have to live like me if you live with me. So the young man says, yeah, okay. He was desperate. So he got his head shaved and they put robes on him. He says, now we have to walk to my temple. So it's days walking. And he's, as they're walking, he says, when you live with me, there's no tobacco, no alcohol, no drugs, no women. Because you're there to look at yourself and learn about yourself. And he says, okay, we have nothing to do with those. <laughs> so they're walking and it's raining. And they come to this village, and there's a river there. It's a wide, shallow river. And there's a ferry, but it's parked on the other side of the river. And the ferryman's not there. He must be eating or something. And there's this gorgeous, beautiful young woman standing there looking across the river with this umbrella. The master goes up to her and says, would you like me to carry you? And she gets startled and looks at him and sees he's a master and says, yeah, okay. So he hitches up his robes and ties them up and he sees his legs and picks up this woman and holds him close to his chest 
and he carries her across the river and she's hanging around his neck laughing and they're talking. And the young man's watching says, we're not supposed to have anything to do with women. <laughs> you know. <laughs> the master puts her down, comes back, and he says, okay, let's go. So they walk for a couple more days, get to his temple. And they're there. So he's got chores, you know, he's doing what the master says, you know. And six months later, he goes to the master and says, I'm not changing. I'm not, it's not, it's not working. The master looks at him and he says, what's on your mind? And the young man looks at the master and says, master, six months ago you picked up that beautiful woman and you said we're not supposed to have anything to do with women. And the master puts up his hand and says, you mean you've been carrying her this long after I put her down? <laughs> we, of course, in the crowd, just sort of laughed. The young man and the master there in Richmond puts his hand up. And he says, six months, not bad. He says, some people carry for years, some all their life, they don't put down things that their minds are cluttered. And I was transformed. I have to put down a residential school. I have to put things down. Leave them there. So that was the master. So I started then to let go, to forgive. My first forgive, big forgiveness was the British, because I hated the British, because they colonized. They were our colonizers. The colonizers they sent over were mean, or like all colonizers, I guess. They're doing their job. Complete political and economic control over my people. Even tried to kill us. So I didn't like their accent. I didn't like anything about them. So we are going to England. I said, I better practice what I preach. I'm heal. I need to forgive. I need to let go. So I done a ceremony at Buckingham Palace. Forgave the Queen and the Brits. Thanked them for cleaning up the River Thames. For outlawing uh, modified foods, you know the good things they were doing. Then I went to Italy and forgave the Roman Catholics, which is a tough one. But I did. Forgave them. Because the word forgive means to let go. Not carry it. So I freed myself. Then I went to Seville. And I went to the room where, uh, no, this is a different place where I went. Anyway, it's where um, Queen Isabella hired Christopher Columbus to go to the Americas. 
So I went to that room where they agreed, and I let them go. I remember as I was doing it, I was thinking of how when Christopher Columbus landed, it's like he opened our Pandora's box for indigenous people, let out a negativity that we didn't have before. Addictions to alcohol, you know, abuse, all of those things that we started poverty in our own land. So I forgave him too. Then I went to Seville where he was buried, done a ceremony there. So as I was doing that, what I started to do, like when I sing hand drum, it's like a total expression now. I used to be so worried people would think I'm singing funny or I'm doing it wrong and stuff. I don't anymore. I just sing as I became free. Love to dance, to move, to go out into nature, to hear people making music to hear speakers talking, people with a wonderful sense of humor. So, and the way I washed my brain of the negativity. But there was one more man that helped me, that was, you know, about the forgiveness part. Old Chinese man. I was at a Crimes Against Humanity conference at UBC. So there are Holocaust survivors, sex slaves in uh, Japan, genocide in South America, and different speakers. And I was feeling... I said, I'm losing hope and faith in humanity here. I got to hear something good in the three-day conference. The last speaker was this Chinese man, and he walked up to the podium with two canes and his interpreter. And he gives his name and the name of his village, and he points at his legs. He says, I have the rotten leg disease. It'll never get better. He points at his legs and he says a statement that transformed me. He said, the evil Japanese done this to me. I was sitting there in my mind, I was saying the evil Christians hurt me. The evil white people hurt me. So it stopped me from generalizing but being more accurate, being more precise. So they were masters that transformed me with words and with their stories, their life, their experiences. So I started to become consistent, didn't stop with ceremony, burning smudge, sweat ceremony, going to a longhouse, going to healing circles started to follow the traditional teachings. And, um, you know, started using the medicines. 
Now I got seeds, sweet grass, different medicines around me, and I use them. My drum, my rattles, you know, my voice. And I remember one ceremony that really uh, melted me, I guess. Because probably the most difficult part, memories to eradicate, were about the residential school. So I started working for a residential school, provincial residential school service. Doing being a workshop facilitator. So we do these workshops in communities. And one of the um, ways we're helping the survivors, we called it a welcome home ceremony and a birthday party. So the, I would tell the people in the community in the hall, I said, I want all the survivors to go outside the hall. And I said, I'm going to talk to the ones in here so the survivors would go out. And I'd talk to the ones in the hall and I'd say, those survivors more than likely were never welcomed home. So we're going to form two lines and we're going to walk down that. And you're going to shake their hand, give them a hug, give them a message about coming home. And I said, after we're all done, we'll have a, a circle, and then we're going to have a birthday party. There's a great big cake there, and we're going to sing happy birthday. Because I know when I went to residential school, there's no birthday parties, because there's so many of us. So I was doing that in my, one of my Statlium communities. One of my aunties was there. I walked into the hall and she says, Welcome home, Jerry. You're okay now. The school's not with you anymore. You're home. And I remember I started weeping. I was surprised at how touched I was. So we can make up ceremony to help people to heal. So it's all about, you know, for me it was about I'm going to stop hurting now, I'm going to look for healing, I want to live. I want to be good, I want to be a good man, I want to be a good person. I started to be empowered, which means to take my power back because people took it on me. Now I can change. Every day I, I heard that teaching, every day you wake up you can change. So I started to change. I changed how I eat. You know, I stopped doing drugs and alcohol. I stopped swearing. You know, I stopped being negative. You know, I wanted to be positive all the time. I wanted to be a part of the solution. I wanted to be part of exciting things. I'd say, let's be cutting edge. Let's make something really beautiful. So I started to choose to be positive. 
to choose to be around positive people and to help people that are struggling through ceremony or talking to them or just being there. Because I was taught, elders were saying, be careful and sincere with your words when you're talking to people. Don't be swearing and calling people down. Be careful. And above all, be sincere. Mean what you're saying. Don't play with words. Be careful. One auntie said, you know, your tongue can be like a knife. It'll cut that person. It'll cut their soul. Don't do that. The elder told me, you, you talk to yourself and say, each day I get stronger. They were laying teachings at my feet, how to be a good human being. So I took control of my life. You know, this is about strong mind. So, I don't know what people would say about me if I suffered from anxiety or depression or PTSD or whatever. But I'm telling you what happened and what it was doing to me and what helped me out of it. Chilkch. Let it come to an end. Don't carry that negativity. Put it down. The ceremony people will take it and put it where it won't hurt anybody again. That's their intent. That's what they're trying. That's what they work at. That's what they're doing. So it's, uh, you know, I was pilp after the education experience. I was lost. Didn't know where I was going. Didn't have any idea. Didn't think it was anywhere for me. But after, I said, I need help. I want help. I admitted that the help showed up. The workshop facilitator for Indian is from South Dakota. The master, you know, the elders, the ceremonies, you know, it all started showing up. Not all at once. When I put the energy out there, I need help. And started to show up. So that's what I'd like to leave with you. Each day you wake up, you can change. Must be intentional, you must be sincere. Don't be afraid to look for help, to ask for help. But even just saying, I need help in your mind, seems like it opens the door to healers to come into your life teachers, masters. So that's what I'd like you to do because we're born with a strong mind. It's the memories and the people that hurt us. It's what we carry. We must put them down. Of course, there are some of our relatives that are unfortunate to have serious mental health problems, but we must also help them, support them. But for most of us, it's a trauma. 
I call it post-colonial stress disorder. <laughs> I refuse to let colonization rule my life. I refuse to let residential school rule my life. Or racism. Free myself. Free my mind. Those negative memories open my mind to positivity. That's my path now. That's my road. So you you chilch to you let it come to an end. And I wish you the best. You know, I was singing before I started and I was thinking of the Williams Lake survivors singing for them and for myself as a survivor. So strong mind is there. You just need to exercise it and to cleanse it, brainwash the negativity. I know I'm saying it sounds so easy. It's not. It took me years and it took effort, but it was worth it. So I'd like you to encourage you to think of getting some brainwashing for yourself, which means freeing yourself Washing out, getting rid of the negativity. Learning to be positive. So i just like to thank you again and like to thank um, my crew that helped me get these in the air. You know, and wish you the best for this year that's here now. Days are getting longer. COVID is still here, but I, the more we listen and the more people that listen, <laughs> we, well beat it, we well beat it. This too shall pass. So you have a good year. Bye.